Jack's teachers asked him the other day when he was in school, they, they said, hey, Jack, like, what is it that your mom wants, like, for Mother's Day? Uh, and he was supposed to have an answer. I don't remember what it was supposed to be. I think they already, like, trained him. And he goes, to leave her alone. <laughs> and I was like, that's every, maybe every mother's secret want for toddlers, like, if, if they have toddlers. Uh, uh, or teens, maybe it depends on the teen, I guess, and the time, whether they're, like, cool or not. Uh, it's probably a big one. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, you know, I uh, just really quickly, we have to we have to keep acknowledging Mother's Day because we're not doing a sermon over it particularly. Um, we're going to keep in our sermon series, but I do want to just acknowledge something. And this may be a bone that I have to pick with holidays in general. But what moms do is not a once a year thing. In fact, it's the opposite of that. It is an every minute of every day kind of thing. I've gotten to see that. The last six years or so, as I watch uh, Erica, who's a wonderful mom, raise our kids. And man, the word for it has got to be, it's a grind. Like, it is a grind. Like, they wake you up, and you're there with them. And they're like, all right, feed me and entertain me, please. (laughs) And you become a chair for half the day. Uh, You are the the shoulder to cry on. You are, I mean, you're keeping them alive, all right? Uh, by and large. And, and dads, you definitely help too. There's no doubt. But today, I just want to acknowledge how important uh, our moms are uh, for our, not just for our physical upbringing to keep us alive, because the Lord knows what would happen if I was in charge of my children's food. Uh, my goodness, would they? Would they exist? I don't know. It's unclear. Um, but moms are consistent. And I think we should honor them consistently, not wait till once a year, uh, starting in the 1910s or 20s uh, when Mother's Day was was created, uh, but rather seek to find ways to to honor them consistently. And one of those ways can be husbands uh, to to help them out more often, perhaps uh, to look for ways to 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 build them up in front of your children, those kinds of things. Uh, uh, Compliment them in front of your kids. Thank them in front of your kids. And I think we should not wait till holidays to treat our moms special. So let's commit to finding ways to honor our mothers more often, Uh, maybe not giving them gifts as much as just giving them affection and love, which we all know as parents is worth so much more. There's nothing better than that. Uh, And thank them, pray for them, give them that kind of attention. Um, and let's not compartmentalize thankfulness just one day a year. All right, cool. Sound good. All right, good deal. So we're going to continue on in our sermon series. Um, just to kind of remind you, cause I know it's easy to forget. In fact, I bet you, if we asked half of you, like what series would you say that we're in right now? Uh, there would be mixed responses. Uh, maybe like some people are like, man, I bet you we're talking about the prophets cause we did something like that like a year ago. Um, but we're actually talking about Uh, essentially what it looks like to live intentionally, both within and without community, okay? So within and outside of community. And then we're also kind of going over this new study that we put together called Seeing Jesus. And it is a really simple eight-week study that is uh, just rooted in the Gospels. Every week, there's just two verses. The first verse is a story of Jesus, and the second verse is a teaching of Jesus. And they are separated by certain kind of topics, like his purpose, or his love, or his grace, or whatever, okay? And it's the same thing every week. Uh, You ask the same three questions, which are basically, what are you seeing? What questions do you have? And what do you think it might mean? 
And it is not one person leading another person. It is just two people looking at the gospel together and actually trying to dig deep into if, like, A, who is Jesus? He is not as easy to understand as I think we make him out to be. Uh, and then B, what does what he teaches and what, what, is, what, what is what he lives, what is that supposed to mean for my life? Does it just mean that I'm saved and then somehow my body is, uh, it, you know, falls off into the dust and my soul escapes like a butterfly on wings to heaven? And if so, what the heck does that even mean? Is that really what it's about to follow Jesus? What's, what's Jesus supposed to mean? If Jesus is at the center of it all, what's Jesus supposed to mean in my everyday life? We've got to grapple with that as Christians. We've got to grapple with that. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today, first of all, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, and second of all, we've all, Christians and non-Christians, have got to grapple with this question. If this guy who showed up thousands of years ago really is, in fact, God of the universe, what it can't mean is that we just live the exact same kind of lives as everyone else in the world. That's what it cannot mean. It's got to mean something bigger than that. So what does it mean? What's it supposed to mean for my life? So before we actually dive into that series, which will start next week, we're talking about this idea of, of what does it look like to, to have relationships within community, which is what Kale did last week. And Ronnie, the week before that, talked about what's the heart of one-on-one -on -one ministry and friendships in general. And then this week, we're going to talk about what does it look like in terms of one-on-ones outside of this community? What's, what, what's friendship look like outside of church community? Because Christians can be super guilty of, if they're not in my church or they're not in my community, then they're not my close friend, Right? Uh, it's kind of like a, a holy enclave or something like that. But this sermon might be better phrased as like developing intentional relationships outside of church. Just flows off the tongue, doesn't it? So developing intentional relationships outside of the church. And college students, listen carefully to this. We don't have as many today, in case you didn't tell, because of SICKM. That stands for the Student Institute of Campus Ministry. Really cool conference that's going on in Washington. I'm actually going to head down there on Tuesday. Uh, I guess I'd say up there on Tuesday. Um, so that should be interesting. But listen carefully to this, because if you thought friendship was somewhat confusing now, wait till you get into your 20s and 30s and 40s. It's not that easy. Because then you've got multiple spheres to navigate. And it's hard to balance that as an adult. Man, if I just did like a daily rundown of what I do and what goes on and how I try to figure it out, you guys would realize, first of all, how incompetent I am. Uh, but second of all, how comp uh, maybe it's not my fault as much because it's really complex. It's really complex. There's all these spheres, spheres of relationships. I've got relationships from the people in my neighborhood We've got these really great neighbors who are like super sweet and they play with our kids and we know, we know the adults there. We you know, had a party at our house like a week ago and all of our neighbors show up and I'm like, wow, there's a, a bunch of really sweet people here. This is really cool. Like, are these my friends? And then I, we, we have been going to this gym for like a decade, I know, with all these people and we know them and we've been friends with them for a really long time. I'm like, are these my friends? We've got friends in this community, and we're like, are these my friends? And then now entering into school, I play on a basketball team called the Mohawk Dads, which, by the way, sounds, not, it sounds so nerdy, but it's just because the name of the elementary school is Mohawk. They didn't think about that before they named us in this league, so we look like real losers when we show up and we don't have Mohawks. But 
So now I've got all these friends that are like my kids' friends' parents. And I've got to deal with that. Are those my friends? What about the dads on my kids' baseball team who I see every week and get to talk to twice a week? You know what I mean? Which is more than some of you in here, too. Are those my friends? What am I supposed to be doing with these people? What kind of relationship am I, am I supposed to build a relationship with? Are they supposed to be my good buddies? Am I supposed to be grilling out with them? Or is that kind of like a dude? I don't even know. I have, I have boundaries. I have time. Like, how am I supposed to figure out who fits where and with what time? My goodness, what time? What even is friendship? <laughs> how many do I have to have to be good? Like, you know? Have you ever thought about that? Has anyone ever gotten numbers, gone real number, gone numeric on their friendships? They're like, how many friends is like just a good, solid number of friends? to keep. And then, is that kind of my only friends that I need? Or do I need like peripheral friends? Should there be layers of friends? Like, do I need to be harvesting different crops of friends? Can you tell how clear this is to me? I hope you can. Super easy. But there's three, essentially, if we break this down, there's three categories of people that I see, okay? There are people that have opportunities and don't recognize them in terms of this subject. They have opportunities to be very intentional, to, de- very be, uh, to be developing intentional relationships outside of community. They have them and they don't recognize them. And then there's the people that, that have those opportunities and they do recognize them, but they don't do anything about it because they're like, work is too busy right now. My kid's stuff is too busy right now. My friends are always like, oh, my kid's stuff, man. And I'm like, geez, Louise, you are, you are just a, a pony taking them from place to place, essentially. <laughs> As a parent, a lot of times, and young parents feel that way oftentimes, okay? And then there's the third group of people, which are the people that have opportunities, they recognize them, and they actually do something about them. What you will recognize about all three of those categories is all of them have opportunities. There are no such thing as people in this room or outside of this room that don't have opportunities to build really intentional friendships and relationships with people outside of this community, The question is, do you recognize it, and then are you doing something about it? That is the main thing. And the reason I put that study together in the first place, seeing Jesus, the reason I did it is because a lot of my friends were like, I don't know where to start. Because you guys know FOJ, Focus on Jesus, is our our Bible study that's very in-depth, okay? And it's a joke to say it's 10 weeks, because every time, everyone knows it, as soon as you start that with someone, by the way, high buy-in too. Hey, do you want to do this like 10-week Bible study with me? Actually, you know, it's probably closer to 20, sometimes a year. Um, And we're going to look over a bunch of different verses. I'm going to ask you everything that you possibly could know or think about the gospel, salvation, Old Testament, New Testament, that kind of stuff. I mean, you start with a bookshelf of tell me all the books of the Bible you've ever read. It's pretty intense, but it's a super useful tool to actually making serious disciples, isn't it? Isn't it so cool whenever you actually get someone to say yes to that? That's great, right? But what about average people that are like, uh, no, that doesn't sound good at all, as a matter of fact. And also, you have to feel somewhat qualified to go over that study with someone a lot of times, right? There's the person who's kind of like facilitating the study or leading the study. And then there's the person that's like, all right, teach me everything that you can, that kind of stuff, which is kind of a weird thing too. I remember the first time actually um, in my adult life that I reached out to someone that was like not a, uh, someone like kind of like in our community or even around our community or anything like that. And 
he was older than I was, and he had kids that were basically teenagers, and whenever he would talk to other people, when he'd introduce me, he'd say, this is my friend and mentor, Garrett. And I was like, yikes, that is weird, man. Stop calling me your mentor. He's like, well, you like talk, you teach me about stuff. And I'm like, yeah, man, we, we learn from each other. Like, that's weird. I don't want to be your mentor. I'm not trying to be your mentor. I thought we were buddies. <laughs> like, that's a strange thing. So would you just quit? He's like, all right, I can see that. Like, I'll get rid of that. Like, we can just talk to each other. It's cool. But it's because that study kind of had this, like, I know something. I'm going to teach you something about this, right? Which makes sense, but it, it doesn't make us that in terms of our friendship. What I love about seeing Jesus is no one's in charge. No one's in charge. It's just two people, or sometimes more. It's okay. You guys don't have to. Like, it's cool if it's three or four. You know, I don't know. Uh, however many you want to do. But what's cool about it is we're like, hey, you and I are on equal footing. We are both going to go sit at the feet of Jesus and let him be the one that kind of like teaches us in this study. We're just going to ask each other intentional questions, try to really figure out who is Jesus? What does he actually mean? You know, and what's it supposed to mean for our life? That's one of the reasons I put that study together. And I hope that, uh, that it can be a tool for you that you feel comfortable inviting people to, to actually go do. Hey, you want to go look at Jesus together? We've got this really laid back thing. And another thing that I like about it, man, you can do that in 30 minutes with a guy on his lunch break. Spend the first 30 minutes just catching up, figuring out what's going on in your heart and your mind. One of my favorite questions is just what's going on in your heart and your mind? And then finish it up with looking at uh, some of this scripture together and be figuring out, man, what's this supposed to look like for us? It's just an introductory kind of thing, right? So I put that together for that reason. It's on the website. If you want to find it, it's under resources. So I've only got two points today, which is really um, uh, kind of the opposite of Kale the other week. Kale's like, I've got 12 points for you guys today. And if Kale or Ronnie ever says, like, I've got 12 points, you guys just settle in. All right, get real comfortable, because no matter what they promise you, they're like, it's going to go really fast. I'm like, okay, it'll go really fast. Have you noticed that too? Like, they'll do like their first three points over the course of 30 minutes, and then their last eight points over the course of like five minutes. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's really good. That's why I only give myself two points, because I know if I gave myself more, I'd be totally bad about like actually spacing out. I'm like, I want to do more points. All I got is room for two. All right, so number one. Uh, if you want to get good at this developing intentional relationships outside of this community, which I hope you do want to get good at that. I hope, first of all, you see the need for that, that God has not called you to just be around a bunch of good Christian folk and leave your life at that. God has called you to actually developing relationships with people. And no, not so that you can go win their souls. Maybe he's just called you to that because you're supposed to love people regardless of whether they call Jesus Lord or not. Yeah. How about that? You know what I mean? How about just developing friendships with people? Huh? Cool. So, number one, adopt the identity of a day laborer. Adopt the identity of a day laborer. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
You know, identity is this really hotly debated topic. I'm not sure if you've been paying attention to society in the last decade, but identity is really at the core of most of our problems. As, as someone who teaches and studies sociology, this is like uh, uh, the thing that I like, put my finger on and say, here is the thing. This is the thing, is identity. It's all wrapped up in what or who am I, okay? Some people attach their identity, like what's about, like the main thing that shapes their identity, their master status of identity is sexuality or spirituality or politics or economics or their race. And yet the gospel says those things are all peripheral, not, not a part of your identity, but rather peripheral to the identity that you are supposed to have Whenever you said to Jesus, you are now my Lord. There's a, word, there's a reason that whenever we accept Jesus, we call him Lord. And that is because a Lord is over a worker. Or if you really want to get technically a slave, which is what we were supposed to become whenever we gave Jesus our lives. We said before we were slaves to our sins, and to ourselves, and we are really bad masters. But now we are saying, Lord, make us your slaves because we want to work for you. So our key identity then should become laborers in the vineyard of the Lord. We become kingdom workers whenever that happens. We've been called to the task of helping people find Jesus and to enter the kingdom, and it's an everyday job. The Greek word that's used there, by the way, whenever Jesus says, the send out workers into his harvest field, he's not using the word for like craftsmen, professionals. He's using the word day laborer. He's using the word for someone who's just looking for a job to do. That's it. They're not special. They've got no special skills. But they are people who realize, I need this job. <laughs> I need this job badly. I need something to do. Someone put me to work. That's who the kingdom is built by. They'll do whatever. A day laborer wakes up usually not knowing exactly what they're going to be doing. They just know that they want work. They know they need work, and so they show up, and they eagerly wait to be hired out. Imagine what that, the difference between that and how I wake up every day. Do I wake up, and I'm like, God, all right, what are we doing today? I'm ready to go. You tell me where to move. You tell me what to do. You tell me how to act. You tell me what to say and when. I'll do it. Most Christians, I think, however, have taken on the identity of a white-collar salaried employee. We work off of a salary. We feel pretty good. We just got to show up to the office today. That's all we got to do. Man, you can even take long breaks, do whatever you want. doesn't matter. You're not going to make any more money by doing that, right? But we haven't taken on this, this concept of a day laborer, this concept of a worker in the field. You'll notice Jesus' statement about sending out workers into the harvest is prefaced by his exhaustion. If you go and read about what he had been doing, He'd been spending all of his days driving out demons, which has got to be exhausting. 
healing the sick and talking to people the whole day long. And I don't know about you, but I'm picking up hints that Jesus was a little bit of an introvert. You guys remember the boat situation or like the every time that people would like start to like gather around him, he's like, I'm going to get out of here. You know, you get that feeling, this sense that he would withdraw pretty regularly to lonely places, to be alone, right? So Jesus is exhausted, but what wins out is his compassion, and it's what ultimately guides him. And on days and in weeks where I just feel exhausted, man, I just feel exhausted. I have to ask myself whether I'm going to let the exhaustion win or my compassion win. Like Christ, he looked at the people and said they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And if that doesn't describe our generation, I don't know what does. I'm usually exhausted too. But is my rest more important than someone else's life? Is my sense of shyness more important than their living life to the full? I'm reminded of Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. When's the last time you heard Leviticus quoted in a sermon? I'm reminded of it. The law that God gave to the Israelites was this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. How cool is that? He told them, like, their law as a nation was that they weren't allowed to harvest the edges of their field or go over it a second time so that they could leave it for the poor and the foreigner, which tells you everything you know, need to know about God's heart. And it's also thus true for us. Do you harvest the edges of your field? Are you leaving anything for the poor spiritually or the foreigner to the kingdom of God? We have to stop harvesting the edges of our field if we really want to actually be day laborers. And everyone has reasons why they do it, and I'm not going to tell you what that looks like because only you know what takes up your schedule and your energy. But I do know that we're called to make room for the poor and the foreigner. We're called to make room for people so that we can provide for them. Whenever the disciples came to Jesus, when they had this big crowd gathered, they go, how are we going to feed these people? Send them home. And Jesus goes, you feed them. <laughs> you feed them. You want to know what Jesus' word is to you about all the poor in the world, both spiritually and economically? You feed them. Doesn't that hurt a little bit? Doesn't it sting a little bit? We're like, God, please feed these people. God's like, you got it. Give them your money. God, please look after these people. God goes, cool, I got it. Uh, ask them out to coffee. Ask them how their head and their heart are. You're supposed to look out for them, aren't they? Aren't you? We have become the body of Christ. Have we not? Is the body of Christ about sitting around? Or is the body of Christ about providing itself to the world so that they might know God? Right? Isn't that what Christ's body was for us whenever you just took communion? Wasn't that what it's supposed to be about? So I need to ask myself and or sit down with my spouse and figure out how to make room for that kind of intentionality. And making room isn't always about time. I found it's usually about mental, 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 <laughs> see, there you go, mental and physical energy. 
So my question may be, how can I find the hours to do blank? Or it may be, what takes up all my energy? And how do I control that? How do I limit that? How do I save some for kingdom work? What I know for sure, though, is that being a student doesn't exempt you from your identity as a worker in the field. Nor does being a, an employee does not exempt you from being a worker in the Lord's field. Being a mom does not exempt you from that. Being a dad does not exempt you from that. And being busy does not exempt you from that. I get to sit across the table from a lot of Christians and even Christian ministers. I do a lot of like ministering to ministers kind of work because of focus and just because of being there for as long as I've been there. And I sense that so many Christians feel the gap. And what I mean by the gap is the sense that they're only living out some, some percentage of their life and their potential. You see, I think that failing to do this kind of work is one of the main reasons that that might be the case. See, we're invited on this grand work, this adventure, this endeavor in the kingdom of God. And I think this work is a big part of that. He's placed his spirit inside of us for just such an undertaking, hasn't he? So it's unsurprising if we don't feel like we're reaching our potential because living as a worker in the field is meant to help us sense what that is. You were supposed to be working with the Lord. If the day laborer sits around not working and doing something else and wonders why he has neither money nor a sense of accomplishment, he should not be very surprised at why. Because it is so incredibly rewarding developing new relationships with people just for the sake of them. Watching God work in those people's hearts and lives as he works in mine. Seeing people's lives change as he changes mine. When we replace that with mindless entertainment, endless to-dos, and maintenance living, we will become dull. And we will definitely feel that gap. The last point is this. So the first point, just to remind you, was adopt the identity of a day laborer. And the last point is this. Be adventurous enough to ask the question. Be adventurous enough to ask the question. And that goes in line with what I was just talking about. Acts 29 through 31, you have this, the, uh, the really well-known story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip is just kind of standing around one day. I don't know what he's doing. And uh, the Spirit says, Philip, go stand by that chariot. So, and I'll quote from here. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit down with him. That interaction ended with Philip explaining the Bible to him and Jesus to him. And this man saying, I want Jesus in my life. Make him Lord of my life. So he baptizes him. Cool? But Philip is the one who, A, obeys the Spirit, and then B, just asks a question. Do you know what you're reading? It seems like such a simple question, but it really is the thing that generates the relationship with this person to actually get to know who Jesus is. And it's so funny how we make it something hard to ask a simple question. It's so simple. It's one sentence. It will take you less than three seconds to ask it. Do you want to go out to coffee? I'd love to hear your life story. We make it so 
complex. Well, first they've got to really know me, or first I've got to have these many relations, this many interactions with them, and they've got to look this way. And then once they look this way, then maybe perhaps I'll like ask them like a like a like a preface to a preface of a question or something like that, instead of just asking the question. And I think what happens is we just think that our role is bigger than it actually is. And so we end up doing nothing at all. Jesus is simply asking you to ask the question and to invite someone to something. It's a simple, simple thing. Think about the woman at the well or the man with leprosy who he says, you want to get better? (laughs) What a great question. You want to get any better? The guy's like, "Uh, well, I don't have this and that and this and that. Jesus is like, all right, let's talk. What about Zacchaeus? Just ask and let the spirit move from there. It's not about you. And it's so amazingly freeing to see how little we do and how much God does. Last week, I sent a text to my neighbor, who I've only talked to once. He's a strange cat. That's all I knew about him. Is he's a strange guy. I was one day I was like blowing lawn clippings in the back alley, and I heard this like, "Hey," and I was like, like startled by a guy who is standing uncomfortably close to me. <laughs> this was like a year ago. Whenever I moved in, I was like, "Oh, hey, how's it going?" So I introduced myself to him, you know, that kind of stuff. Seemed like a really nice guy, but it also seemed a little troubled. And uh, so it had been a long time since I had seen him. And I just sent him a text. And I was like, hey, man, because I got his number first time that we met. I was like, hey, man, like, are you doing okay? I haven't seen you in a while. And he sent me a text. You ever gotten one of those back? Yep. Sent me a text. It was a very long, detailed, very candid text. And his question was like, if you're cool, like, sitting down with me and processing some of this stuff I'd love to. And I just kind of chuckled because I'm like, all I did was like say, hey, man, you all right? Where you been? (laughs) And he was like, will you process all of my life struggles right now with me? I really need some help. And I was like, yeah, dude, I would love to. Like, that sounds amazing. Like, let's do it. So we're going to do that. It's just so, like, tell me about what I did that was very impressive there. Tell me what I did in that scenario, other than just be like, hey, <laughs> you all right? It's, it's dumb. God can use such easy, simple things. All he needs is the willing heart. Ask someone something. Just ask them a single question. How are you really doing today? I noticed that you're struggling. I was actually, uh, I, I'm starting to work at SMU this next semester. Some of you guys know that. So I'll be starting at SMU, and I got with one of the head chaplains that was there. I don't even know what, how the chaplain thing works. At SMU, let's just say SMU is shockingly different from Collin College, all right? I know that might come as a surprise to you. So the chaplain was asking me questions about, like, or he was, like, telling me, rather. I was asking questions about the university and stuff, and he was telling me, like, all this stuff. And we were, it was definitely very, like, at a bureaucratic level. You know what I mean when I say talking to someone at a bureaucratic level? Okay, cool. And I was, like, so over that. So I was like, tell me your story, man. Like, why are you here? When did you come here to SMU? Where are you from? And he like, kind of told me about his college background and stuff. And it turns out that he just started there at SMU about two years ago. And I go, two years ago, man, from a completely different state. I go, like, have you guys found a community? Do you have any friends at all? And I wasn't saying it in a bad way. I was just like, because I basically said, because that would be really hard if I had it. And he was like, no, actually, it's been really hard. And we just started talking. And I was like, let me get your number, man. Like, let's hang out. Like, I'll be your friend. You're a minister. 
at us. I'm going to be at SMU. You're at SMU. Like, you're a minister. I'm a minister. Let's be buddies, you know? And so we're going to, like, have dinner with him, you know? I mean, it's just so simple. Like, what's hard about that? Just ask someone a personal question. Show interest in their life. It's not hard to do, I promise you. In fact, two of the, the, the people who became some of my closest friends it started, and this is a random one. I'm such a chicken sometimes about this stuff. So I'll just rattle off like a, just a text. <laughs> and I want to sh- read to you the words of the text, okay, that I rattle off to my friends originally, who became some of my closest friends. Hey, man. This is a bit random, but I was praying, and I felt like God laid you on my heart. True story. And you guys have those people, too. All right. I want you to remember this look on my face and that finger right here. Yeah. You have those people who God has laid on your heart and you not said a word to them, serious word to them. Never invited them, never asked the question, never been bold about that, right? I just said, hey man, it's a bit random, but I was praying and felt like God laid you on my heart. Would you be interested in studying the Bible with me? <laughs> it was that simple. I had never talked with them about the Bible before. They both said yes. They both became friends. And... It was really simple. Really, really ridiculously simple. Tell me about what was hard about it. The hardest thing about it is putting yourself out there. The hardest thing about it is trusting that God actually cares about that person and is already working in that person's life and wants you to be a part of it in some way. It doesn't take anything special. It simply takes faith. So do you believe that God's at work in the world and in people? And are you willing to simply, I love the phrase, look under the rock and see if anything's there. Jack does this all the time. He's constantly looking for bugs. So he's just looking under the rock. Nope. Oh, there's a huge slug. I should put that in my pocket. We should be looking under the, we should be looking under the rocks, guys. Let's just see if there's something there. Start lifting up some rocks. Ask the question. Be adventurous enough. Not bold, not intrepid. Just be adventurous enough to ask the question and see what's going on there. My mom has always been that woman. There's no doubt about it. Speaking of Mother's Day, let's connect those two dots then. Anyone that knows Judy Davis knows that woman will talk to anyone. That's right. You show up to a place and my mom's like, I know her. I know her. And they know her too. Hey, Judy. You know, that kind of stuff. I'm like, golly. I don't know what skipped generationally. That wasn't me uh, for a long time. But I guess it was just Christ in her that helped her to get that way. But that's something that we all should have. Yes, even the ones of us who are introverted. Yes, even the ones who are shy. You don't have to become a cheerleader personality to just say like, hey, how's it going? What's going on with you? What's your story? Like, that's not hard to do. So, I'm going to hit the practicals and then we're going to be done. I'm going to quote what I hear you saying and I'm going to respond to it. Sound good? It just seems like we're adding a lot. Just seems like we're adding a lot. Well, if I spend an hour with two different people per week, every other week, then I could have four people that I'm spending regular intentional time with and it would net me two hours of time per week. If you don't have two hours a week, you have harvested the edges of your field. And you need to think about what needs to be unharvested. Okay? It still feels like we're adding a lot. <laughs> okay. Then instead of going to our kids' sport games, sports games, how about we go with a purpose? Get to know the people at those games. 
you're already there. Ask them questions, develop relationships. You're already there. It takes no extra time. You're already there. How about we do what we're doing anyway, but with a new identity of a day laborer? At the store, when we drop our kids off from the school, when we're in school, wherever we go. John 4.35 says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Wherever you go, wherever you go, they are ripe for the harvest. Open your eyes. If you don't want to add anything else to your schedule, cool. How about you just, with your existing schedule, open your eyes and ask the question and be a little adventurous. Get out there. Come on. Let's do this. It's simple. Okay, okay, fine. Who am I supposed to ask? Who am I supposed to ask? And what do I ask them? Well, number one, pray. We talked about this before, but I bet you you've got an answer already. I bet you you've got a couple people at least here like, yeah, I definitely should. Because guess what? Most likely the Spirit's already nudged you and you shushed Him. Don't do that. Don't shush God. That's a mistake. All right? Trust me on that one. Jonah found that out pretty quick. Otherwise, if you don't have that, do you have coworkers? Ask all of them, but start with one. Are there parents at the school your children attend? Ask them. Are you a stay-at-home mom? Ask the people at the park or in your neighborhood. Are you a student? Come on. Ask your, ask your co-student. <laughs> they're, all, they're all around you, right? Everywhere you go, there's people. I don't know any of you that are professional hermits, okay? I don't know any crane operators in here. You know those guys at the top of the crane, that like those big buildings that are just... Mm. <laughs> Like, I mean, even those guys, they probably can use a phone, right? I don't know if that's illegal, but they, they could. All right, last one. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? Just tell me what I'm supposed to say. All right? You could be like, you, me, the Bible? I'm just joking. Don't say that. Um, I'll choose a gender-neutral name. Or, uh, yeah. Hey, Pat. Uh, <laughs> throw it back to SNL. Okay, so. Hey, Pat. I'd love to meet up and hear your story over coffee one day. Would you be up for that? Don't do it so weirdly spaced though, okay? So, hey, I'd love to meet up and hear your story over coffee one day. Would you be up for that? Then just listen for the spirit. Ask them about life, faith, spirituality. Do you have a faith? You might say, well, then what? Then what do I do? We've got this new study called Seeing Jesus at Our Church. It's really simple. We both get to reflect on who Jesus is to us and what it might mean. Does that sound interesting to you? If not, no big deal. You still want to hang out? I'd still still like to be your friend. We'll see what happens. You want to go do something? I don't know. It's simple. I understand that that can be very scary to us. But you have to understand, you don't get to be a disciple and not be on an adventure. It's just the way that it is. You signed up for this whole thing. And if you did, stop wasting your time at home, being alone, not seeing the big picture here. Go befriend people. Go be Jesus to them. Care, just care for them. They don't have to accept the gospel for you to bring them some medicine. They don't have to call Jesus Lord for you to regularly hang out with them and just get to, to be friends. It's simple. Go see where the Spirit might lead. I guarantee you He's going to teach you some really cool things as you hopefully will also get to teach them some things too. But let's be a church that doesn't focus inward only. We're really good, I think, about community. 
I'm impressed with the level of community here. Like our small group percentage is like through the roof. Like everyone's in one. Uh, our like love for one another and the way that we look after people is so cool. But think about how many more people we could bring into this cool family. It's not a cool family, let's be honest. It's a family, you know? It's definitely a family, okay? We are unique, you know? We got that going for us. We're weird, let's be honest. But let's do that. Let's invite people into this. And I don't just mean invite them to church. If you want to invite someone to church, great. That's awesome. You should do that too. But invite people into your life. Ask them to have dinner with you. Have a night every week where you do something like that. Go and actually be Jesus and be salt and light to the world. And you can do it. Ask the question. Take the identity of a day laborer and be adventurous enough to ask the question. I'm going to say a prayer for us and we'll dismiss. Father, you are so good to us. We're so thankful for you. I pray, God, that you would help us not to get this weird sense of duty as we think about these things, Father, but that we would see it as a cool invitation, one that you offer us that's a, that's a mutual blessing to us and to others. I pray that you would, in this community, uh, light a fire in us. Spirit, speak to us and through us to develop these kinds of intentional relationships And I pray that you would draw us out of ourselves so that we can see what it is that you're offering us, Father, both in this community and outside of it. We love you. We thank you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great Sunday uh, and happy Mother's Day. Be blessed.